Really glad you're with us this morning. Glad you've joined us. If you're watching online, say welcome to you. And if you're just checking us out for the first time online or in person, welcome, especially to you. We're really glad you're here. I'm Justin, and I'm really excited to share with you this morning what I feel like is a, is a, a, a I'm pumped. I, I'm just telling you, I'm pumped up for this message. I'm pumped because I've been challenged all week by this, and I finally get to share it, what God is challenging me with. Um, that's the, the beauty of what Shannon and I are, are so privileged to do is God will challenge us for a week or two, and then we finally get to unload <laughs> what God is challenging us with. So I, I, I think this, this message will be an encouragement to you, but I do think, I do think it'll be a challenge. Uh, we are in a series called The Gospel According to Genesis, right? We're in week five of this. And in this series, we've been walking through the, uh, the book of Genesis, obviously, and seeing the truth of the gospel in this opening stanza of the Bible, if you will. Now, the book of Genesis is not really, not necessarily the most obvious place to go looking for the gospel, right? Uh, it's a, we know it's the creation story. We know a lot, and, and, and on and on, and, and there's so much in there. But it may not be the most obvious place to see Jesus, but he is there. Now, his name isn't written anywhere in Genesis, but trust me, he's there. The gospel is there. There's so many uh, foreshadowings. See, the, see the, book, the Bible is a book, an, an entire story. It's a whole complete story with Jesus at the center of it, right? Jesus is the central figure of the entire Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all points to Jesus. Old Testament points towards, forward towards Jesus, and the New Testament is the coming of, of Jesus, and, it, and then we're, we're here in, the, in a moment of history where we're pointing backward to Jesus, right? It all points like a big marquee to Jesus, all of this. So everything we read in Genesis, you, you have to, we have to keep that in mind as we read Scripture in Old Testament and wherever we're at in the creation story. It's all about Jesus, See, God's redemption plan has been God's redemption plan from the beginning. Jesus wasn't an afterthought or a, or a second, you know, oh, they messed it up, so I've got plan B here. Jesus was plan A from the start. And that's, we're not going to get into the theology of that because that's just kind of, we, we, we're stepping into wading into deep waters when we talk about that. But I believe that the gospel is, it permeates throughout Scripture. And, it, and, and the, the Scriptures are one complete story. It's a whole story about God's love for man and his plan to make a way for us to be in relationship with him. And Jesus is the central figure in that. And, and, and I think what's awesome about Genesis and, and, and a lot of the Old Testament books is there are so many parallels and foreshadowings in this book and in the entire Old Testament to, that point to Jesus. The gospel is there if you know where to look. Okay, so let's journey with it together. So we're continuing our story, the story of Abraham today. This is, we, we felt like his life was, was too, too big and too full and, and dense for one message. So Shannon kicked off uh, the life of Abraham and the covenant God made with him, the promise that God made to make a great nation out of, out of him, somehow, some way. And, and I'm sure Abraham's like, what? I don't know what that looks like. You know, you're... He says, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. He, says, he took him outside and he says, look up. All those stars, your descendants will be like that. And of course, that's a foreshadowing of the church, the kingdom of God. Too, too many to, to count, the Bible says. Like the sand on the seashore. 
And so Abraham has made, been made this promise by God, this covenant. And, that, and we talked about how God deals in covenants. He doesn't deal in convenience. We deal in convenience. Whatever's convenient for us, that's what we're going to do. If it's not convenient, we're, gonna, we're skipping it, right? If, it's not, if it doesn't fit our lifestyle, we're skipping it. But God doesn't do it that way. God is a God of covenant. That means he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. And that is good news for us today. So we want to continue that, the story of Abraham this morning. So to recap, Abram becomes Abraham. He gets a new name, a new identity that God gave him. And God makes a covenant with him. Why? Because God wanted to. Why? Not because Abraham was anyone special. But because God loved him. And God loves us. And God chose him. Just because, being chosen just because is, is mind-blowing to me. I've been chosen by God or loved by God because of any attribute I possess. Like, God loves me. God loves you like you are. You don't, we don't bring anything valuable for God to the table, really. He doesn't need us but wants us. That's the gospel, right? So that's kind of the picture here. God chose Abraham. Was he a great man of faith? Absolutely. But I, you know what? I'll, I'll confess. I think we put Abraham on a pedestal. I think we deify Abraham. We think about him, the father of a great nation, and we do this. Oh, he must have had just this extraordinary thing about him. I don't know what it was, but he was a, a giant of a man. And I tend to disagree. I'm not lessening Abraham's influence. I'm just telling you that you and I are in Abraham's shoes most of our life. God has made a covenant with you this morning. God has made a promise to you. And you, don't, and, you and I don't bring anything valuable that's going to change God's heart or mind. Either way, to the table. God chooses to make a promise to you. God of the covenant. And that covenant is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would eventually come and do, to save the world, to save mankind. And today, as we continue Abraham's story, I want us to look together at what I believe is, might just be the most powerful Old Testament parallel and foreshadowing to what would come in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus. It'll, it's mind-blowing. You know, we read this story of Abraham and Isaac and his son. We're going to be in Genesis 22 this morning if you want to turn there and get ready, but we read right through it like we've, we've, we're so callous to it. You know, and you, all of us church folks who've grown up in, in church all our lives, we read, oh, yeah, Abraham, Abraham was called by God, and Abraham, you know, did this and had the great faith to do this. And what we do is we, we don't, it doesn't move us anymore. My hope this morning is that this story, you'll see it with fresh eyes and with a, with a, uh, with a, with a pure heart and a newness about it, that it will move you, it'll stir you up. So I'm pumped. I, I, I've been stirred up all week about this. So in, in Genesis 17, just to kind of set the table here, God tells Abraham, who is 100 at the time, 100, and his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, that they're going to have a son. Let that sink in. Go ahead. And so Abraham does what any God-honoring man would do upon hearing the news. He laughed. He did. He laughed. Wouldn't you? Like, wait. 
Sarah isn't supposed to be able to have children. We've been through this, God. She can't have children, naturally. And because of that, you told me to uh, have a child with this Egyptian handmaiden named Hagar. No relation to Sammy Hagar. I said I wasn't going to say that at 11. Facebook, don't take me down. Don't take down the live stream. Copyright infringement. Had to do it. Abraham laughed at God. Not like, God, you're stupid, but has God ever done something so ridiculous and crazy in your life that you just had to laugh? Like something was one way and then God did another, and you're like, <laughs> you just, all you can do is laugh because God shows up. And in our mind, it's so ridiculous and so outlandish that only God could have done it. And this is the situation here. He laughed. They both laughed. He said, God, I'm 100, Sarah's 90. Wow, like, besides, I've already got a son, Ishmael. You, you made your promise. You, you, you kept your promise. I've got a son. Isn't Ishmael going to be the, the kid, who the promised kid, who is going to bring about the redemption of the world and the great nation that you talked about? But God said in Genesis 17, 19, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son, and his name will be Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. And then in Genesis 18, God reiterates the promise. And they, they would have a son and a, a chosen one that would be the proof of the covenant. The child would be the proof that God loves you. The child would be the proof that God is near. Are you seeing the parallels? Are you seeing the New Testament parallels yet? They're everywhere. The child, the son, would be the promised one to bring about salvation of the world. It's not by accident. The gospel, according to Genesis, it's there. It's all there. And so in Genesis 21, finally the child is born. Abraham is 100. Sarah is 90-ish. And they name him Isaac, which means laughter. That's what it means. Sometimes God just does something so crazy we have to laugh. So Genesis 22, I want you to turn there with me. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. This is, this is the account of Abraham's great test. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, I, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. God said, what? Now look, take off your, grew up in church, heard this, this song and all the, all the verses many, many times. Take that off for a second. Step back from this and understand what God is asking him to do. God is going against everything about who he is. God is asking him this is child sacrifice. People who are non-Christians, unbelievers, will point to this passage as proof that our God is not good. It, it, that, this passage is used against us as Christians all over the world. Think about what God is asking him to do for a second. Parents, 
parents, take in the gravity of what God is asking Abraham to do. He's asking him to kill his own son. And not just any son. This is the son of the promise. This is the son they waited a hundred years for. This is the son that God said, this will be the kid that brings about the great nation. The nation too numerous to count. It doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense to me. I hope you're seeing this with fresh eyes because it is moving. It is gripping. God is asking him to to take the life of his own son. God's not even asking him just to give up his son. He's saying, you're going to be the one to do it. God didn't say, take your son because that's a little gray area. God could, uh, Abraham could have said, oh, I have a son, Ishmael. All right, yeah, okay. Not that he'd be will, any more willing to give up Ishmael, but Isaac was his boy. I mean, he loved God. Abraham loved God, y'all. But Abraham loved Isaac. I'm not going to ask you parents to raise your hand if you have a favorite. All your kids think they're the favorites. Some of y'all are like, no. Middle children are like, heck, no, I'm not the favorite. Have you seen what my mom and dad do for my brother and sister? Like, you know, I thought I was the favorite for a little while. And then my brother came along. And he thought he was the favorite for a little while. Then my sister came along. She's definitely the favorite. I'm the oldest. I get blamed for everything. What do you think Abraham was thinking? He's like, no, not Isaac. Are you kidding me? God made sure. God, listen, God made sure he knew which one, didn't he? He said, you know the one I'm talking about, Isaac. The one who you love. You know the son I'm talking about. Not Ishmael, Isaac. So why in the world would God ask him to do this? I had a thought about this. Parents, listen. And if you're not a parent, don't tune me out. But I want you to hear this. Maybe, just maybe, Abraham had made an idol out of Isaac. Just maybe his child had become his idol. Look, parents, before you squirm, I want you to know I'm a, I'm a father of three. And I have poured my entire life into my children. I want you to know I love them with everything that I am. And sometimes, y'all, they become idols. I want you to know something. Maybe, just maybe, God was ready to strip Abraham of his idol for a greater purpose. Just maybe. Just a thought to think about, parents. See, we we pour money and time and travel and you know this sport and this activity and this experience and this vacation. We want to we want to pack our children's lives with experiences, and sometimes we miss the importance of filling their lives with the gospel and the importance that I, although I love you, son, daughter, you are not everything to me. You belong to God. That's a, that's, a, that's a difficult pill to swallow as a parent, okay? I get that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't love your kids with every fiber of your body. I, y'all know I would lay down right now my life for any of my, any of my children. And it should be that way. But my children cannot be my idol. 
They cannot be my God. They cannot be. Just maybe God saw an idol in Isaac for Abraham. And rightly so. Abraham had waited so long. They'd waited so long for this kid. And, and you know, not only that, he wasn't just any kid. God had told them from the start this was the kid. This was the promised kid that would bring about redemption for mankind. Now, now, so you can see how he'd be special to them in their eyes. It's easy to do. Abraham loved God. There's no doubt about it. But he loved Isaac. So God, now you're, you're telling me that I, you've given me this child. He's supposed to be the promised one. And now you're asking me to give him up. You're, you're asking me to take his life. Maybe Abraham had been fo- so focused on his son that, and the wonderful gift that Isaac was. And he forgot the giver. The gift. And so as... Tozer would say, God steps in to save both father and son from the peril of idolatry. Verse 3, the next morning Abraham got up early. Okay, let's stop right there. Abraham was up early. You know, we could read that and go, Abraham's up like, you know, drill sergeant. Yes, sir, I'm ready. I'm ready for the assignment. I'm up. I'm up. Come on, let's get up. We've got a sacrifice to make. Let's go. I don't believe that was the case. Look, if we read this with any imagination, church, we will see there's a reason, there's a, a logical reason why Abraham was up early. Why was he up early? Because he couldn't sleep. He wrestled all night. His grandson, Jacob, would wrestle in a similar fashion all night long with an angel of the Lord, the Bible says. like He was in a wrestling match for his faith. All night. If you read it with any kind of logic at all, or, or imagination as a parent, there's no way he just got up early and, okay, like just cold and said, all right, let's go. Come on, Isaac. Get up, get up. Today's the day. We're going to sacrifice you. You've got to put you on the altar. No way. He wrestled with it as any good parent would. Abraham's struggle on the eve of the sacrifice mirrors the one also that would take place in a garden a few hundred years later. I wonder also what those three days, that three-day journey to Moriah, what it it must have been like. Three-day journey. What were those three days like? Gut-wrenching, anguishing, angering, heartbreaking. A father, an old man, and his son walking the journey together, not saying much of anything to each other. Imagine it now. We've got to put ourselves in the story to get the most out of it. We've heard this story way too much, and our hearts are too calloused to the truth of this. We need to step back and understand the gravity of what God's asking him to do. Anguish. Heartbreak. That's what this story is about. Genesis 22, verse 3 says, He saddled his donkey, took his two ser- servants with him, along with his son Isaac, Then he chopped wood for the fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told them about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place from a distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come back. We, not I, we. Never noticed that before. We will come back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
And the two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, We have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Man, how, parents, you ever had a question from a child and you just don't know how to answer it? It's just too heavy. You're not sure what you're going to say. You don't want to lie. But you want to tell them the truth either. Man, what do you say? Oh, son, I'm sorry. I got to take your life. God's told me. Imagine what's going through Abraham's heart. This is his response, though. Verse 8, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offerings, my son. God will provide. And look, you can say this morning with full assurance that God will provide. Are you hearing me? And you're not real sure how that's going to happen. It's okay. We Again, we need to take Abraham off the pedestal just a hair and put him down in our shoes and put us in his shoes and go, he is a parent, an anguished parent. And he, he's having to answer the tough question. And all he can say is God is going to provide. I don't know how he's going to provide. Sometimes all we have, folks, in this life is the promise of provision from God. That's all we have. Sometimes all you have to cling to is God's provision in your life. You're not sure how, what God's going to do. You're not sure how he's going to do it. You just know that God keeps his promises. Verse 9, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on an altar on top of the wood. Won't even get into the fact that Isaac allowed him to tie him up. Isaac was not a little boy. He was an adolescent at least by this time. He let his father bind him up. No questions asked. Talk about the, the faith of Isaac on a, for another day, maybe. This is in Abraham, verse 10. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham, can you say how quick, what's Guinness World Record for dropping a knife? And I was gone. As quick as he had it, could, could let go of it, he did. Imagine this. Verse 13, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira or Jehovah Jireh in some versions, which means God will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from, the, from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. 
See, in this moment, God remembers his covenant to Abraham. And Abraham responds with great faith, no doubt. But it wasn't a blind faith. Yes, sir. It was not a blind, callous faith. It was a trusting, calculated faith in a God who Abraham knew loved him. This is all God requires. See, Abraham's response wasn't just this enormous faith that we just can never attain, y'all. He responded by laying down. He laid down everything he had. He laid down everything dear to him. And God is reminding Abraham of the promise that he made a few chapters early, earlier in, in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 and 17 kind of explains further the faith of Abraham a little bit. This is what it says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned, reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back from the dead. Y'all, this is way early in Scripture. There is no precedent for a human coming back to life after he or she had died. None whatsoever. It was not even a thought in people's heads. When their heart stopped beating, they were gone. Maybe God gave Abraham a glimpse of what was to come. Just maybe. Just maybe. The Bible says Abraham reasoned that if Isaac were to die, that the only way he could, he could fathom is that God would raise him from the dead. Are you seeing the parallels? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. It's so good. And in the end, God says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide a substitute. There's an amazing doctrinal belief that explains this idea of God providing a stand-in on our behalf. And Shannon will appreciate this. The, the term is substitutionary atonement. And that's real fancy theologian talk for Jesus took your place and absorbed the punishment and the wrath of God. Jesus reconciles sinners to God being their substitute in the punishment reserved for us. Substitutionary atonement. It's actually really, really critical part of our theology and, and what we believe. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. Folks, sometimes all we have to cling to is just the, the God of the promise. We don't have the promise yet. We have no idea what God's going to do, how he's going to do it, but God will provide. God is the great provider. Jesus is the great substitute, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Abraham didn't know for sure what God was going to do. He had no assurances that God would spare his son on that mountain. None. He had no assurance from God that, Abraham, that Isaac was going to come out, walk off that mountain alive. None. And he knew, all he knew was that God would not break his promise. That's all he knew. Sometimes, folks, that's all we have to cling to. See, God's role in the covenant 
We talked about covenant last week, but God's role in the covenant is, is, is that of initiator. God initiated and establishes the covenant. Sometimes, sometimes his role in the covenant is to help us keep the covenant. You and I have no ability to keep the covenant on our own. We don't. We are incapable of fully keeping the promise we make to God. When we step into relationship with Jesus for the first time, God knows we're going to break that promise. God knows we're going to shadow, shatter that covenant. God knows we're going to break it to pieces. He knows we're going to bust all the rules up. He knows we're going to be rebellious, disobedient, and yet he still keeps his end of the covenant. Look, this is the gospel according to Genesis. God is a God of covenant. He is the initiator of the covenant. He is the keeper of the covenant. He pursues us when we don't pursue him. And our role in the covenant is to fully understand and recognize and be okay with our inability to keep the covenant. Your role in the covenant, in the salvation covenant this morning, is to fully grasp your inability to keep the covenant. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God is capable of doing. You see, even on your best days, doing it right, not intentionally sinning against God and, and, and reading your Bible and doing good for others and praying and living a life that honors God. Even on your best day, you are incapable of fully keeping that covenant. We just are. This is why salvation is necessary. This is why the promise of God is necessary on your life this morning, right here, not just for Abraham, but for you this morning. In fact, our role in the covenant is real simple. This morning... God is asking you to lay down. Lay down. Not physically lay down. But lay yourself down. Lay your children down. Lay your hurt against someone who's hurt you real bad. Lay it down. Lay that resentment that you have towards someone that you had for years. Lay it down. Lay that heartache of a loss. Lay it down. Lay down the good, the bad, the in-between. Our role in the covenant is to lay down, to surrender, to rest in the promise of who God is and what he is capable of doing. Amen? Man, that speaks to me. Because I am not good at laying down. I want to do. I want to earn. I want to earn my keep. I want to do, I, I just want to prove myself. And God says, you can't. I am the God of covenant. I initiated the covenant. I keep the covenant even when you can't. This is what Abraham did on that mountain that day in asking, in God asking him to lay down the life of his son. What he's really asking him to do is lay down everything. He not only laid his son down on the altar that day, he did, in fact, lay himself down. Again, that's what Mr. Tozer would call, A.W. Tozer would call, the blessedness of possessing nothing. This is what God wants most from me and you, to lay it all down. Trade again everything we've got for the life that comes from trusting God fully, even when we cannot see what he's doing. Jehovah, Jireh, 
God is my provider. And friends, 2,000 years ago, somewhere in the vicinity of 1,500 years after this event in Genesis 22, on, a, on another hill, not far from there, some say the almost, some, some theologians would say the exact site of the Abraham and Isaac sacrifice. God the Father took his own son up a hill and laid him down on our behalf. A lamb, a substitute, a savior. Genesis 22 points directly to the cross with a big old fat finger blinking marquee. Hard to miss. It foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. And my question to you this morning is simply this. Are you fully trusting in God? Jehovah, Jireh, your provider today. Are you just withholding some things and trusting with the things that you know you can't handle? What might God be impressing on your heart to lay down this morning? What might it be? What might it be? Fear of the unknown? College students, what you're going to do after graduation? Parents, the idol that we've made out of our children? Person sitting here who's got some deep-seated resentment against a brother or sister, against anyone? What might God be asking you to lay down? Because this is our role in the covenant. Our role in the covenant is to lay down, to surrender. That's all it is. It's understanding full well my inability to do anything good on my own. God is going to have to help me to have the least amount of grace on someone's life. God's going to have to help me do that, right? And you as well. What is God asking you to lay down? Matthew 16, 25, 26 says, if you're trying to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what, does it, what, what do you benefit if you gain the world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? The key to truly possessing the life God has for us is in laying down. Wholehearted surrender. Stripping of idols. Stripping away of all the things. This is the key to a faith like Abraham's. Are you willing to lay down all that you possess and put it on the altar? There's an altar there. There's kneelers. You're sitting in an altar. You can sit right where you are and do this. But I believe with the whole room this morning, we have things to lay down. We just have things to lay down, don't we? We just have things we have to lay down. Here and now. God wants it. Here and now. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. See, this is a beautiful, heart-rending picture of the sacrifice foreshadowed in the gospel story in the New Testament. God laid his own son down as a sacrifice, as proof of the covenant to us. And for the sins of the world, in order that you and I might have life. And that's our response this morning. We're going to sing a song uh, as a response. And I want you to take this song in, the words. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, song that goes right with this message. And I want you to pay close attention to the lyrics. If you know it, I want you to sing. This is a time for you and I to think on the incredible sacrifice of Jesus. This is the time for you and I to step to the foot of the cross. Just as Abraham laid it all down, God desires that for me and you. This is the gospel according to Genesis. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we're thankful that you are the God of promise, that everything in us wants to doubt. Everything in us has difficulty laying anything down. We are so independent, God. We are so rebellious. We, we want to prove everything. We want to earn everything we've got. We want to prove our worth, God. We want to show you that we can do it. We want to show others we can do it. And you are telling us this morning, you can't, but I can. In the laying down is a beautiful picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So this morning, God, may we respond in grace as we sing together. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's stand.